0: welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter
1: most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about religious liberty on this program. And we have with us Matt Staver. He is the president of Liberty Council, of course, a legal advocacy organization that defends First Amendment rights of people of faith all across the country. And, of course, they've been busy the last few weeks as there has been egregious Uh, offenses of civil liberties all across the country in relation to the COVID-19 shutdown. Now, here in Ohio, we have had a pretty good relationship with our governor in that he has not ordered the closure of churches. He has strongly suggested the social distancing guidelines for churches going back to early March, and we were one of the first states to have a closure of schools, universities, um, sporting events, uh, restaurants, and... um, non-essential businesses that has gone on now since early March. Uh, And the governor is saying that uh, we're going to begin to open things up here in about a week and a half on May 1st. We indeed hope that that is the case, as many small businesses are suffering. But churches have found creative ways here in Ohio to continue to congregate, whether it be online, whether it be teleconferencing, Or the drive-in service, and that started with a church in Columbus, and it began to spread like wildfire as a very viable option and opportunity for churches to be able to congregate, and actually uh, go to the church, stay in your car. Uh, the pastor would preach, and sometimes be on an FM translator, or it would be uh, over uh, the internet. But uh, it was a way in which people could at least connect with each other without by uh, honoring the social distancing guidelines. And Governor DeWine actually applauded that effort, uh, but in other states, it's not been that case. And that's what we're going to talk with Matt about, because COVID-19 in 2020, this shutdown, has been a laboratory of liberty. We can see where those who are uh, 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 actually offense to our First Amendment rights are using this opportunity to misuse their office uh, by way of uh, tyranny, to bring against the Church and its right to First Amendment rights and to congregate. And there are a number of examples. We're going to get into that with Matt. But with that, uh, let's go to Matt Staver again with Liberty Counsel. Matt, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be with you. Well, Matt, uh, we've been reading, of course, uh, first of all, we were stunned that down there in your neck of the woods in Florida, a pastor was arrested Uh, This was several weeks ago now. Rodney Howard Brown was arrested uh, because he had actually uh, dared to actually do what they do every Sunday. That is to congregate and assemble in the name of the Lord. And the local sheriff there took upon himself to arrest him. Please tell us what happened there.
2: Well, in fact, the same sheriff on the Thursday before the Sunday service um, actually told the church that it was clear to go. It was okay. In fact, what happened is a draft order, executive order, the first enforceable one out of Hillsborough County was passed on Thursday, and then they modified it on Friday and passed it, and the only thing they did is they removed the curfew. It went into effect Friday night. So that led to the conversation with the sheriff on Thursday when this draft order came out, and that was, uh, can we meet under this order? And so the Church proposed all kinds of things to do. Uh, Reduce the size of the sanctuary, have six-foot separation, uh, cleanse the sanctuary. They already had installed over $100,000 of high-grade hospital air purification systems in there. Wow. And, uh, yeah, went way beyond the local Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, you name it. And they have a hydroponic garden inside the lobby and a tilapia fish farm where they actually give food away to 900 families every single week. They put the six-foot tape space there on the floor. They did all kinds of things. He said yes. So they go and cleanse the sanctuary on Saturday. They reduced everything as they were planning to, had the service on Sunday. Then the sheriff arrested him on Monday uh, and committed multiple lies within that meeting that were were absolutely untrue. He never repeatedly violated orders. There was only one, and that happened on Friday. He didn't put anybody at risk. He actually uh, did what the sheriff approved him to do. And that arrest was the first pastor's arrest in the country. And that's what ultimately got national, international headlines, As a result of that, two days later, on April the 1st, Governor Ron DeSantis modified his executive order, and he declared that attendance at churches, synagogues, and houses of worship are essential activity, and he preempted any local uh, executive order to the contrary. So that overrode the Hillsborough County order uh, there and anything that they did. criminal case is still pending. We have to get that dismissed. But uh, now in Florida, as a result of, of this, uh, the churches have been able to meet throughout all of Florida. Some have been voluntarily choosing not to. They're all doing, you know, certainly uh, health precautions for those that do meet. Uh, the pastor of the river, uh, though, that was arrested, have, they have not met in person. They've done online. Um, and the reason is not because they can't. The reason is because of those lies that happened in that press conference that the sheriff did ultimately resulted in multiple death threats against him and even a bomb threat against the church. So they will go back to an in-person service on May the 3rd, which actually we are proclaiming and calling Reopen Church Sunday. It's the first Sunday in May, the week of the National Day of Prayer. And it also is right in that time frame where President Trump gave the three phases to reopen America that begins on May 1. That includes churches. So... Uh, that uh, meeting will happen at that church, but hopefully churches all over the country will begin the process of having some form of limited-in-service program, along with other options that they can do, including parking lot services, online services, and other kinds of services. But it's time, frankly, to begin reopening the church, and the churches should never have been closed by the government in the first place. That's beyond... Their authority, the First Amendment, draws a line in
1: the sand. Well, it's a day that we hoped would never come to America, where we would see the violation of our First Amendment rights, the right to assemble and to gather in the name of the Lord. And yet, unfortunately, we have seen just that. There was a poll that was conducted uh, of all the different things that are closed down, of the restaurants, sporting events, and... schools and all that, what would people most likely like to get back to? And overwhelmingly, it was houses of worship. So that speaks to what you're doing, Matt, with the... um, Opening reopening of the church Sunday on May 3rd. Now, of course, the president said he wants to open up the country on May 1st here in Ohio. We have been one of the first states and the longest in shutdown, quite honestly, in early March. Uh, and now here we are toward uh, we're in the entering into the last week of April. So it's been a very long haul for Ohioans, especially those of us who have endured five months of winter, looking forward to spring and getting outside and then having this shutdown. So it's been very uh, frustrating, to say the least. But that being said, um, this is a great time for... Uh, the churches to start to recongregate Now, I think what you're saying, though, is, that, you know, certainly even the church in Orlando, they took precautions, certainly, yeah, and you're yeah, not saying did. that. You're saying...
2: No, we're not saying, you know, <clears throat> go ahead and pack the church up with, uh, you know, people like sardines in a can. We're talking about exercising some, obviously, good judgment. Yes. And so what we're saying, and we've got some guidelines on uh, reopenchurch.org, Uh, is for people to do a reduced size uh, for your sanctuary. So if you have seats or pews, you can either remove the seats or just mark off places so that you have the six-foot separation between family units. Family units, obviously, they're coming in the same car and they're from the same home. They can sit together. But between family units, six-foot separation, maintain that. Do the sanitizing. Uh, All the different things that we need to take as precautions. You know, don't get crazy, but begin the process of opening up the service of the church in person. It's very important to do so because you know churches can't just flip off a switch and go online. Maybe some can. Yes. But there's a lot of churches <clears throat> that have so much more essential ministry than that. It's more than just a message and music. You know, for example, uh, we've had. An drastic increase in domestic violence, child abuse, child sexual exploitation, pornography, alcohol consumption, mental depression, anxiety, and even suicide. And when you have those kinds of things happening, man, the church is more necessary, more essential than ever before, and that can't be helped online. Some churches have had you know, drug uh, addiction recovery programs or sexual addiction recovery programs you can't do the same thing online you got to be in person you know if you have the single mom who's lost her job doesn't know where she's going to get the next uh, dollar because she's living paycheck to paycheck or how she's going to feed the f- family as she's driving home or whatever it may be or the, the woman who's a uh, a domestic uh, in a domestic abusive household she needs to be able to reach out those people need to be able to reach out you know i i um uh, I was watching a video that somebody sent me from Israel today. But this is not just Israel, but this was an 80-some-year-old Holocaust survivor. And uh, because they also have the stay-at-home thing, he had people that would come to his home and give him food, but because of the stay-at-home, they haven't been able to do it. He had no food for five days.
1: Oh, my. Ca-
2: finally called the equivalent of 911. Police officers came. There's a video uh, of all that with the news media. The video is showing the police officers coming in. They're talking to him, they interview him, and this man says he went without food for five days. He survived the Holocaust. He said, multiple times I thought about committing suicide. My friends, there are people all over this country, elderly people, who depend on others to come and help them. Many of them have been unable to get that help. It is time to begin the process of reopening the Church.
1: We're talking with Matt Staver, again, the president of Liberty Council. Matt, uh, I couldn't agree with you more because it's an opportunity for – Houses of worship to recongregate, and as you said, take the precautions necessary. Keep the social distancing practices like we are in the local stores when we go in to shop right now, right? And but the the whole church shouldn't be shut down, and that's what you're saying. Uh, and of course, the president is saying let's start opening things back up. So, and I think that, and I've talked to a number of pastors; they're going to do a phased-in approach themselves, where younger people who are less at risk of the COVID-19 are chomping at the bit to get back to youth groups and to get back to uh, gatherings and small gatherings, that kind of thing. Those who are older and maybe in a risk category with their health, they need to take those kinds of precautions, and they'll need to make those kinds of judgments and assessments. And, And I talked to a number of pastors, and they're addressing those needs. But again, for the whole church to be shut down, people are being forgotten, and and people are hurting out there, and we can't allow that to continue.
2: That's right. You have to take a reasonable approach, and obviously I don't know anybody who wants to put people at risk. I don't know anybody who wants to harm anyone. So we need to take the precautions. We know, uh, you know, (coughs) the the, the risk categories. Uh, Somebody who's... Uh, over a certain age, 65 perhaps, depending upon your health. Uh, Not everybody who's over 65 is going to be in that, but, you know, depending upon your health, what kind of predisposed risk factors you have. Could be somebody younger with predisposed risk factors. We know what those risk factors are. So you may want to participate in a parking lot service. Don't even get out of your car. If, in fact, the Church can do that along with an in-person, or you may want to stay home and not even leave the home. You know, make those reasonable decisions, And the church can help give some guidance, and that's what we did on the reopenchurch.org. Just some things for people to think about, for them to be able to let people know. You could even start off with, you know, having um, the invitation to people in your church for people who are regular attenders, uh, because those are the people you've got contact with anyway. And then the overflow could be the parking lot, or whatever it might be, but it's time to reopen. You know, if you go back to the beginning of this process... They said, well, it was only two weeks, so many people said, okay, well, we can handle two weeks. But the two weeks have turned into two months, or even three months in some cases, and for some places, it's even threatened to be more. And, you know, then they said, well, only 250 people. So some churches were under that, and many churches over. But then they said 100, then 10, and in New Mexico, they said 5. In a county in California, they say, if you're going to do online service... No wind instruments, only percussion. Only wind instruments could be used if they're in your home, and only four people of the immediate family could be participating in wind instruments (laughs) in your own home. I'm telling you, it's hard to make this stuff up, but it's out there. And these are orders, and they're threatening people if you don't do it. You know, you're going to get charged with a misdemeanor. And then in Washington State, we had to fight. Days before Easter finally got it resolved, they said to the pastors, you couldn't even leave your home to travel down to the church to do an online service for Easter. We're talking about just the pastor, maybe one or two other people. Finally, they said, okay, they rechanged and they relented. You can have up to ten people travel down to the church, uh, but you got to do all the social distancing and so forth. Oh, my. Online service. Online service. I mean, those things are absolutely beyond the authority of the government to do. They're not only telling you how to worship online, Sometimes you can do parking lot, other times you can't. We, rec- we represent a church in Kentucky where they had people in their parking lot service targeted by the state troopers while they're in the car listening to the message online not getting out of their car, and they get notices of quarantine stuck on their car. Then they get a letter from the governor. Well, that's the right.
1: These are some of the stories that leaped off the page, and of course, that was uh, Kentucky Governor Beshear, who said that state police would be taking down license plate numbers of congregants that came to drive-in services and would give them citations for quarantine up to fourteen days. I couldn't believe I was reading this, Matt. I yeah, thought, and
2: they got, and they got the quarantine letters uh, on uh, Thursday. And as a result of that, uh, Thursday uh, after the week of or after, I should say, Easter. So these happened on Easter Sunday, and on Thursday they already got the letter. And the letter says they have to self-quarantine, and anyone in the car, and anyone they came in contact with, they had to sign a form. And they also had to take their temperature every single day at a specific time and report of their health condition that they're not unhealthy people, they don't have any symptoms, report their temperature and other anything else to the local uh, board of the County Board of Health. They couldn't travel out of their county, couldn't travel out of the state, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all these things. As a result of that, some people, when they went to church after this hit the media, uh, don't you attend that Maryville Baptist Church? Yeah, I'm a church member. I got uh, furloughed. Some even got fired as recently as uh, Wednesday of this week.
1: Okay, see, and this is what I'm saying. Well, and here across the river in Cincinnati, now in Ohio we've not had these cases to our knowledge as an organization, and we would pass them along to the Liberty Council, indeed, if we did. Uh, the governor, as we said, it actually complimented when a pastor came to him and said, hey, uh, Gov, I got an idea here about a drive-in service. Everybody stays in their car, they practice social distancing, I'll be on a platform, we'll get a FM translator. And Governor DeWine said, hey, that's a fantastic idea, he, with his blessing. Uh, but uh, across the river in Kentucky, just the opposite. But listen to this from this county prosecutor down there in Cincinnati. Uh, Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieter has threatened people of faith concerning their ability to congregate according to their First Amendment rights. For a county prosecutor to misuse his position of authority in this way is an outrage. Prosecutor Dieters crossed the line of public trust when he threatened churches and their attendees from congregating and worshiping, according to their First Amendment rights, on April 4th in a radio interview on WLW 700 AM Cincinnati. Prosecutor Dieters stated, That if he were governor, he would tell churches that the first attendees at their church would be the National Guard, stopping them from congregating. We can only thank God that Mr. Dieters isn't Ohio's governor. This is what he actually said. Listen to this. Uh, Here's his complete statement. Uh, I would tell these churches, the first attendees at your church is going to be the National Guard because we are stopping this right now, okay, he said. We're stopping it. No one is asking you not to pray to God. No one is asking you not to pray to Allah. No one is asking you not to pray. It can be done remotely. It's not a problem. But if it applies to these kids in over the Rhine, it should apply to those churches too, and they need to just stop it. That is prosecutor of Hamilton County, Joe Dieters. That's how ridiculous that is.
2: That's ridiculous. You know, they are telling you how to worship online, or they're telling you you can do parking lot, or some are saying not even parking lot, or some are saying if you're in the parking lot, you have to have your cars six feet apart. Now, that makes no sense, because if you have one person in the driver's seat and another person in the driver's seat, and there's only one person in that car, you're automatically six feet apart. But but at any rate, you can drive to the Home Depot parking lot, right? That's you right. You can have your windows down, you can have your windows up, you can be right beside each other. You could turn on the Christian radio station on Sunday. The whole church could drive down to the Home Depot parking lot. No problem. In Kentucky or other other places where they're giving hassle about uh, parking lot, you can't you can't do parking lot in for example parts of California. Uh, a court case just recently opened up a couple of counties in California to do parking lot services. But you could travel down to Home Depot Everyone turn on the Christian radio station, and they could listen to the station, or maybe even perhaps their pastor preaching on that particular station, and there'd be no problem at all. But now you're parked in a church parking lot, and you get ticketed with this quarantine notice. So these are the kinds of absurd things that are happening. In Virginia, we have a pastor. Um, They have no Internet. The church can't do online. Right. They service uh, people such as former drug addicts and prostitutes uh, among some of the people they serve. They transport these people to their medical uh, visits. These people, the the family for these people is the church. So the governor, in his wisdom, Northam, said only 10 people in the sanctuary. They had 16 in a 293-seat sanctuary, way spread out. The pastor got charged criminally. He now faces up to a year in jail and $2,500 fine. And he says, if you guys come back and anybody is over 10 again next time, uh, everyone's going to get it, including the people who are there. So if you have 11 people, we're going to give it to all of you, all of you in violation. And so they were so afraid they missed Easter service. And that's a church that you cannot just flip off the lights and go online. There is no online for that church. There is no online for those people.
1: You know, Matt, uh, this is really just almost a dream. I can't believe all this is happening. There was also the case down there in Mississippi where the mayor had the police write $500 tickets to each attendee of the service. What happened down there?
2: Well... That was, uh, you know, they actually did it twice to two different churches, $500, while they are sitting in their car for a parking lot service. They knock on their window, the windows are up, the service is uh, about ready to begin or beginning in some cases, and they knock down, roll down the window, and they give them a $500 fine right there. Well, lawsuits happened in that particular um, Greenville, Mississippi, And as a result, also, the Department of Justice, the attorney general, uh, issued a statement of interest indicating that it was unconstitutional what they were doing. And finally, after two lawsuits and the attorney general intervened, the mayor relented. Uh, But he was not going to relent after the first lawsuit, not going to relent after the DOJ came in. And then finally, when he got the second lawsuit in addition to the Department of Justice, he finally backed down.
1: Matt, thank you for all that Liberty Council is doing and uh, defending the rights of Christians across the country country. Again, the way that folks can uh, find you on the website, that's lc.org. And then, of course, you have the Reopen Church Sunday with guidelines for churches as well. Tell us a little bit about that, how people can find that on the website.
2: Yeah, they can either go to lc.org, and there's an image right at the top where you can click on it, or you can go to a special website, reopenchurch.org, reopenchurch.org, and it talks about... May 3 is reopened Church Sunday, with some guidelines there as well.
1: Thank you so much for being my guest today, and uh, God bless the work of Liberty Council.
2: Thank you, my pleasure.
1: Thank you, my friend. And again, pray for them and uh, support Liberty Council as they're defending the rights of Christians, and they do uh, just that, uh, and so contribute to them. We'll be right back with State Senator Larry Oboff to talk about how we're going to start opening up things here in Ohio. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: The coronavirus pandemic certainly has changed our lives, and that includes the way we must now cast our vote. I'm Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and I want you to go to VoteOhio.gov today and learn how to request your vote-by-mail ballot. When you cast your vote, the decisions you make will resonate across your community and beyond. Go to VoteOhio.gov or call 877-SOS-OHIO and learn how to request your vote-by-mail ballot and make sure that your voice is heard. Let your voice be heard.
1: And we're back, and with us on the phone is State Senator Larry Oboff, and uh, right now the Ohio General Assembly has been in recess during during the COVID-19, but they've been busy behind the scenes talking to their constituents and talking to business leaders across Ohio. We're going to discuss that at this program. Larry, thanks for joining us.
0: Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Chris. It's great to be on.
1: Well, you and I talked over the weekend about uh, where uh, might be the first avenue for Ohio to open back up. So, for instance, right now we are seeing the closure of uh, schools, colleges, uh, universities, sporting events, restaurants, uh, you know, anything really deemed non-essential, which um, includes uh, the governor also asking hospitals to suspend uh, elective surgeries And uh, also doctor visits. A lot of people are waiting to get in to see their doctors, and so it's gone on for some weeks now. I had a post on our Facebook page last night from a physician in Tuscaroras County, and I thought this was interesting because... He's really concerned as people are holding off going to the hospital or the doctor's office or the emergency room is what it would be at this point since doctor's appointments are being conducted online, but even the emergency room. And he's concerned because he's seeing now where uh, things are only becoming more acute for people that are needing medical attention and just not going for maybe fear of uh, being at the hospital or an emergency room where, uh, you know, with a COVID nineteen concerns. Uh, your thoughts?
0: Sure. Uh, well, that's actually one of the first areas that we're opening back up, and I think there's been uh, some misconceptions out there about why um, uh, elective surgeries or 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 uh, maybe not not urgent surgeries were put on hold and uh... uh, the primary reason for that uh... was because when we were going into this uh... there was uh, a significant lack of personal protective equipment uh compared to what we thought we would need um and and in fact what we what we did need uh it, both as the number of uh, covid nineteen cases across the state increased and in anticipation of any surges like we've seen in in some uh other states like we've seen in new york and uh and uh and in michigan um so uh a lot of those things were were temporarily put on hold uh, so that um, we could make sure that we had enough uh, personal protective equipment in the pipeline uh, among our medical providers Um Actually, the governor talked about this extensively earlier today. But, uh, but as I mentioned to you uh, previously, uh, privately, um, we've been working on this for about a week uh, to get things ramped back up, and uh, and I think beginning almost immediately, you're going to see that uh, we've uh, sought the input from medical providers, um, both doctors, uh, hospital systems, uh, et cetera, and uh, and asked them, you know, where they thought. We were in terms of their capability of ramping back up and doing so safely uh and um and how that related to the amount of p p e that was available uh and uh we think we're at a pretty good spot on that right now, and you are going to see uh those procedures ramping back up within the next week or two and uh and I cannot emphasize how important uh that is, both for the reasons that you mentioned uh for people who have health care needs that uh that maybe weren't. Uh, dealt with as as expeditiously uh as as they needed to be uh but also because frankly our hospitals and and our our doctors offices and our other medical providers and dentists have all been uh, uh suffering some of the same significant financial harms that we've seen uh both across the country and I'd say across the world uh as uh as people have tried to deal with this pandemic uh so for example the uh hospitals collectively across Ohio Uh, I believe, are losing something like $1.2 billion per month uh, because of all of the normal procedures that they would be doing, uh, essentially being put on hold until we were prepared to deal with the pandemic. And uh, so um, I think we're in a much better place right now. We believe it's manageable uh, to uh, get back up and running. Uh, We've worked very closely uh, with medical professionals uh, to to start that ramp up and you're going to be seeing that over the next uh, two weeks
1: now, of course uh, we were left uh, you know really needing uh, the The protective gear, the the medical equipment, and those kinds of things. And unfortunately, we found ourselves depending far too much upon China, who was was the main supplier of these medical supplies. Not only were they holding back shipments, they ended up buying supplies around the globe And uh, actually, those sales went forward. And then the next thing you know, the U.S. gets hit with COVID-19 and realizes that they're in a real world of hurt. That's when the president had to enact War Powers Act to get um, manufacturers to start making masks, uh, medical gowns, protective gear and that kind of thing. Your thoughts along those lines?
0: Well, that, that, that's right, and that's been a pretty significant uh, problem. And I guess there, there are two things built in there, and I'll, I'll address them separately. The first is uh, I think that the Chinese communist government has been uh, very uh, misleading throughout this entire process. And uh, had they shared accurate information early on, uh, I, I believe that globally this could have been a much smaller scale, a much smaller scope than what we've seen in terms of its spread throughout uh, so many different countries. And uh, when you start with, uh, with incorrect information uh, being given to uh, the World Health Organization, for example, as, as recently as maybe January 10th or January 14th, uh, was saying that, that they had been told by China that, that it couldn't pass from human to human. Well, obviously, by that point, they knew that that wasn't accurate. Um, those types of things have been a big problem. Uh, in in treating uh, this disease and in controlling its spread. Um, And you'd imagine how much better off things would have been if if other countries could have taken steps earlier if they had the full set of information a month or two sooner than they did. Um, But uh, with respect to uh, us being able to procure PPE, uh, start creating PPE, et cetera, uh, I I could not be uh, more proud of the innovation Uh, that we've seen across the state of Ohio. A number of companies, and you've seen this nationally, too, a number of companies that, frankly, weren't in the business of of making these types of products have retooled their factories and gotten up and running and said, you know what, maybe we made cars yesterday, but we're going to make ventilators tomorrow because that's what the people of our country need. And uh, a whole host of different businesses that started making N95 masks and and other safety equipment you know, creating our own sets of tests here, which uh, which the Cleveland Clinic did um, right at the outset of this. They had people work around the clock for nine days to come up with their own set of testing, and you've seen Abbott Labs do that as well with testing that is uh, very promising in terms of substantially increasing our ability to test, uh, which is something, frankly, that we need to be doing much more of. Um, you know, all the way to Battelle, uh, who uh, created a process for... Uh, purifying and cleaning uh, used N95 masks so that in some cases you can use those up to a dozen times or more. Um, these things uh, all were, were the um, accumulated work of a lot of very good people across our state, across our country who said, you know what, we're not going to let this uh, pandemic beat us. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going we're to find a ways to uh, do what we need to do uh, to make sure that we're keeping people safe.
1: We're talking with State Senator Larry Oboff. he is the Senate president. Uh Larry, the um not only has uh, many businesses closed, but the General Assembly has been on recess and and a lot of folks are wondering when will the General Assembly reconvene uh to actually weigh in on some of these things. What's the timetable for that?
0: Sure, well well first I would say that that we already have and and um um pretty early on uh but uh, but during the course of the stay at home order we actually met uh, and passed uh, a unanimous legislation uh that that in many ways uh alleviated uh some of the uh problems uh that uh, the people were facing but in some ways also pushed back a little bit uh on the executive so for example um Um, When the uh, election uh, was postponed, which I think was was the right thing to do, um, there was a date suggested sometime in June. Well, the legislature disagreed with that. We thought that it would make more sense to do a mail-only election for these very unique, very specific circumstances uh, and have a, a sooner end date on that that still gave people uh, more than a month uh, past the, the election date uh, to vote, in addition to the month of early voting that they already had. Uh, so that is going on right now, and you can still request your absentee ballot. Uh, they are due by uh, by April 28th, but I would encourage anybody who hasn't uh, taken the opportunity to vote uh, by absentee ballot yet to do so. Um, so we, we passed that as part of a bill that had about 28 to 30 different provisions in it that in, in the normal... Uh, legislative process probably would have been about two dozen different bills but uh, we worked together with the administration and with the house uh, to uh, do a lot of these different things uh, so that dealt with a lot of education issues um, for example waiving uh, state testing for this year um, some of the uh, uh, report card requirements um, figuring out a way to let people who are on track to graduate uh, still do so um, but uh, Uh, Also dealing with some of the problems that were very specific to health and safety issues, like making sure that uh, if you were unable to pay your water bill uh, during the course of the declared emergency uh... that your water wouldn't be shut off or if you had a professional license that would otherwise expire during the course of the declared emergency or your driver's license or your your uh, concealed carry permit that all of those things would continue uh, until some date after the emergency was over so that uh... so the people wouldn't be harmed uh... by by mere virtue of following the order and, and trying to stay home. So so we, we've waited on a lot of these things already, uh, but we are going to be coming back within the next uh, few weeks uh, to deal with more. Is and, there a uh,
1: date specific that uh, the General Assembly will be gathering again, a date specific?
0: Well, I have session scheduled for the 29th of April, so so next week uh, it remains to be seen whether we're going to keep that date or we're going to take a, uh, a date the next week in May. Uh, but uh, because there's some budgeting issues, for example, that we're trying to work out before we do that, uh, and uh, some of those relate to funding that is coming to the state or, or being, you know, through the state to uh, to different people and different, uh, different businesses as part of the CARES Act. And we're working through all of that now. Um, for example, additional funding for local governments that have really taken a hit uh, financially over the last month, um, where we're actually waiting on uh, information uh, from Uh, The federal government, uh, the the Treasury Department, I believe, is going to be giving us uh, official guidance this Friday um, on uh, how uh, we can expend those funds. And so some of it is in flux while we wait for the guidance from the federal government or the rules from the federal government, but... uh, but we are in the process of, of preparing some of that legislation now and uh, and we will be back in in the near future.
1: Well the Paycheck Protection Act, the CARES Act, that program, yep. the Paycheck Protection Act, actually ran out of money. So a lot of businesses that we talked to who applied for it really right in the front end uh, basically were told by their bank well you 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 were approved unfortunately, the money's gone. So that was a big disappointment. This is over a week ago now that that uh, news came down for a lot of businesses. As you know, every day on the calendar for a business is uh, crucial. So I know that Congress is talking about another level of funding, and I think that's what you're referring to. Uh, that can't get here soon enough, and it won't save most businesses. In fact, uh, the Ohio Restaurant and Hospitality Associations are predicting that 40% of their membership uh, of these businesses just won't reopen, that uh, there's not enough help coming in time to actually save these businesses. We're going to, on the other side of the open of May 1st, which is still a week and a half away, is like an eternity for a lot of these folks and i think people are going to be stunned to see a lot of their favorite eateries actually closing boarding up and not reopening uh, this is going to be a different economic picture in fact there are projections that the 2 billion dollars 2.2 i'm excuse me yeah 2.2 billion dollar rainy day fund is probably already gone because of the loss of res- revenue because of the shutdown your thoughts about that
0: Sure well uh the rainy day fund thankfully is 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 a little bit higher than that it's about maybe two point eight billion dollars uh and and in fact uh during uh uh the two thousand and fifteen budget process, we passed a a change to increase its statutory cap, so we actually put more money in it than previously um, would have been allowed under law we We expanded the uh, availability of that, so i'm glad that we were we had the foresight to uh and and particularly former Senate president now state auditor keith Faber uh really spearheaded that uh, had the foresight to um, store away as much money as we could for uh you know terrible circumstances like this uh this is this is an economic uh uh problem the likes of which none of us have seen in our lifetime
1: and and again so the governor did put a freeze on all hirings, so that was good that, you know, uh, you, you obviously have a Rating Day fund to fill in the gap. Uh, the state fund, um, employment, <clears throat> new hirings was all frozen. But we heard the health director. Uh, project about these field people that will be going out and doing these tests. And somebody gave me a number yesterday that, if you, given the citizenry of 11.5 million people in Ohio, you're talking talking about 1,500 field people through the Ohio Department of Health. Does she have to get, uh, that's Dr. Acton, does that have to be an approval through the Ohio General Assembly, and your thoughts on that?
0: Well, sure. I, I have not heard that number before. Um and I do think we need to ramp up testing as much as possible. And actually, the bill that uh, Congress is, is likely to pass this week is going to increase uh, funding to the states specifically for the purpose of ramping up testing. Uh, but uh, uh, my understanding is that the administration has actually asked each of their departments to look at their budgets and prepare substantial uh, decreases in funding uh, so that if we have to come back in uh, over the next few months, and pass a budget correction bill uh, to adjust for the revenue that we have available that we'll be looking to make major cuts, uh, probably across the board, uh, not necessarily ramping things up. Uh, so um, I, I am happy to look into that issue and maybe come on uh, in, at a future date and yes. discuss that specific question. But, uh, um we are anticipating having to make substantial changes to the budget. And and it's unfortunate, obviously, for a whole host of reasons, but the uh, the budget that we passed last year was working pretty well for the state. It actually increased spending on social services. Yeah,
1: the economy was booming for um, sure
0: the The economy was about as strong as it's ever been, and we had a two hundred and forty nine million dollar uh surplus uh just for this fiscal year uh going into this um and I think that we're looking at a very very large uh shortfall obviously coming up uh but uh but we will we will come back and we will do whatever we need to do to address that uh and and um with regard to the uh, all right hold
1: that thought right there because i have a question sure. for you we're going to take a quick break uh we're talking with state senator larry oboff we'll take a quick break we'll be right back on the other side
2: the coronavirus pandemic certainly has changed our lives and that includes the way we must now cast our vote i'm secretary of state frank LaRose, and i want you to go to voteohio.gov today and learn how to request your vote by mail ballot when you cast your vote the decisions you make will resonate across your community and beyond Go to VoteOhio.gov or call 877-SOS-OHIO and learn how to request your vote by mail ballot and make sure that your voice is heard. Let your voice be heard.
3: There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov/covid19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station.
2: Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization
1: And we're back with State Senator Larry Oboff, and we're talking about the COVID-19 shutdown and the reopen plan. Senator, as uh, we've gone through this unprecedented time with this pandemic, we have seen the executive branch and along with the health director make a number of uh, moves to adjust our lives, and it's been really kind of an eye-opener for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of people were stunned of how much power the executive branch had, and of course, with the health director, as some of these uh, measures were probably left on the books going back 100 years ago with the last pandemic of 1918. Do you think there's going to be a revision of of the statute pertaining to the health director's role in times like this? Uh, How do you view that?
0: Well, I I definitely think that we'll take a look at that statute um, and... uh and uh... way out as a legislature whether we think there need to be any changes or not uh... i i would say that uh... it's important for people to understand that that some of uh... the things that we've seen across the country uh... that have been particularly problematic i think we've been able to avoid here um... for example uh... Um, governor dewine was clear from the beginning that uh... gun stores uh... firearms uh, stores and other self-defense outlets were were considered essential, uh, as they absolutely are, Um, uh, that um, while uh, I I think there were some personal recommendations, perhaps, uh, that uh, uh, people not congregate in large groups, uh, that we did not do anything like you saw in some other states uh, as far as... trying to shut down churches, uh, ticketing people who went to church, those types of things. Uh, I I think that um, Ohio's process has been... Um, while challenging, uh, much more respectful of people's constitutional rights than what you've seen in some other states, uh, frankly. And I think that that's why um, when you see you know, some of the protests that have broke out in some of those other states, and, and in Michigan, for example, uh, they had uh, thousands of people. Um, I, I think that in some of these cases people were justifiably upset uh, about specific policies or, or concerned that, uh, that their governors had gone too far. Uh and I think that here we've tried as much as possible to be far more respective of, of the limitations uh that the government has. And so um, you know, was every order exactly what I would have ordered uh or or what the legislature would have done on any given day? You know, probably not. Uh but uh but in many cases uh I think that the governor has been very careful to avoid infringing on some of People's constitutional rights in in ways that maybe some other governors haven't been as careful with. Um, so it's a it's a difficult tightrope to walk. Uh, but uh, but I think if you you know to get back to reopening the economy, if you if you take a look at. Um, Our numbers, uh, certainly, of infections, of deaths, uh, compared to uh, many other comparable states, states that are similar in population states that are similar geographically, uh, our numbers are are substantially lower than a number of those other states because uh, we were proactive earlier. And because we were proactive earlier and because Ohioans um, all came together together, uh, to uh, fight this and flatten the curve, uh, we are in a position where we're realistically going to be opening in some major ways before other states do. Um, and that's why you saw the governor first talk about this last Thursday. You saw Lieutenant Governor Kusted, uh, uh today um, discussing some of the processes for reopening. And I've personally been engaged in a substantial number of conversations, not just with individual businesses, uh, both in my district and, and across the state, but also with all of the industry groups, the Chamber of Commerce, the NFIB, the restaurant association, et cetera, um, uh, so that we all have a plan to reopen to do so uh, safely uh, and uh, make sure that when we reopen that it's uh, it's it's permanent uh, and that we are able to um, bring the economy back. Yes. And uh, from my perspective, the worst possible thing could be that that it's not done well and that it blows up and. Uh, and I think that things are, are on their way to reopening sooner than what you'll see in a lot of other states.
1: Well, that is good news. Again, uh, Senator Oboff, thank you for joining us today. And again, I think everybody's ready for us to open up and get back at it with precautions, of sure, uh, in a lot of areas. But uh, definitely getting back and getting the economy moving. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Great. Thank you very much.
1: So if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at OhioCA.org. And if you like uh, the News and Focus broadcast and it's meaningful to you, please consider a contribution on our website, again, at OhioCA.org, or just Google Ohio Christian Alliance. Thanks for listening, and God bless.